singing this morning. I trust you have. We're going to be looking this morning in Acts chapter number 12. Acts chapter number 12. And really asking the question, do you trust God enough to pray? You know, do we trust in God enough that we'll pray and go to Him? And do we trust Him with the answers, whatever the answer is, uh, to our prayers? You know, today, do you have a problem? Do you have something that's bothering you? And more than that, do you know someone that is in the chains of sin? Someone that's just locked, maybe you are locked into a problem or locked into some sin that you just seemingly cannot get out of. What we'll see in our passage today is Peter was locked in prison. It was a physical prison uh, that he was locked in. And God did a great work when the church began to pray. But we'll uh, read and uh, we'll preach through from verse 1 through 17, but we'll uh, start out by reading the first five verses. But everyone that can, let's all stand in reverence to God's word as we uh, read in Acts chapter number 12 this morning. Beginning with verse 1, the Bible says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he, he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Let's all bow our heads and let's pray. God, I just pray today, Lord, as we look in your word, God, I pray you'd work in each of our lives, God. Lord, I pray we'd see the importance of prayer. God, that we would trust you. Lord, that we'd have faith, God, to put our whole being in your control. Lord, I just pray for your unction to preach your word. God, I just pray, Lord, for your strength and your wisdom. God, put a guard about my mouth that everything that's said be glorified. Lord, I just pray that you'd work in this place today. Convict us of our sin. Draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You know, here as we look, again, starting out the passage, Herod here, he was a politician, wasn't he? He was a, if you remember there, Herod, there was a different Herod that was ruling uh, when Jesus was first born. But this is actually the nephew of the Herod that was there when Jesus was uh, born. And as we see, when he first arrested James and ends up uh, killing him, then if he saw it pleased everybody, so he thought, well, I'll go after Peter as well. And what happened? We can see the church begin to pray. So as we look, you know, uh, we can see here the, that Peter, in verse number five, it said he was kept in prison. And as we look, and as how they did things in that day, Peter not only was in prison in jail, he also had chains on him. And usually the way the Romans did it, when they had somebody they really wanted to keep, they would chain them even to a, 
to a guard. And so it appeared that there was no human way that Peter was ever going to escape. He was ready to die. They were, the guards were present. They were just waiting to bring Peter out to execute him. You know, when it looked like there was no hope, no way out, nothing could be done, then the church started praying. But you know, today, you may have a problem that you think there's no answer for. You may know someone that's close to you that has a problem you think there's no answer to. You know, the, there, you may think you're, someone is engulfed in sin. You may think there's no hope for them. Let's look in the passage today what God did. You know, the first thing I'd like us to look at is the church's answer to their problem. The church's answer to their problem. You know, what was their problem? Peter was in prison with no hope of escape. And what the Bible says, therefore, Peter was therefore, verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. You know what the church began to do? The church began to pray. And if we look, as I look uh, there in those uh, in these verses, and started, you know, I started really looking at it, and I thought, you know, there's something important here that we need to pull out. As as it looked, it said that constant prayer was offered to God. You know, really, what is the word? It was it was offered, right? And if we go back and look in the Greek, that that verb there. It's, uh, I don't know that I really understand as much as I should about that verb. But it was offered up to God. It was, the verb there even has to do with the origin. and really has to do with Jesus. You know, it was an offering. It was almost, to me, it seemed like, it was something that was come from God and going back up to God. But then it said, it, as it told, here in the English, it says constant. And as I begin to look in the Greek and look at several helps there in that word, it's more than just perpetual. It has to do with the intensity in which it was offered. The fervent prayer that was offered there. Uh, it was it was uh, a word that uh, it not only meant continual, it meant stretched out. They were stretching and they were praying and they were fervently seeking that. Right? Huh? You know, so many times we plan when we should pray. You know, and it's not that planning is bad, but asking God. If we go back to the book of Joshua, Joshua, if you look at what's just happened, they just crossed over the Jordan River. They have defeated the city of Jericho, which seems seemed to be an impossibility for the walls there around Jericho. God has gave them a great victory. They went through a time where because of sin, 
They lost to Ai, and God showed them the sin that was there, and they took care of that sin, repented, and God gave them the victory in Ai. It just seemed like God was speaking to Joshua, and God was speaking to the children of Israel, and great things was happening, and then chapter 9 comes along. And in Joshua chapter 9, the folks of Gideon show up, and they say, I know that they're going to kill us too. And so they trick them. They put on old clothes and got old food, and they show up there to Joshua and the, and the elders in Israel, and they say, look, we come from a far country because we've heard of the great things you've done, and we just want to make a treaty with you just because of your great God, and we just want to see, taste some of our food. You know, it's already molded. And what did the Bible say in verse number 14 of Joshua 9? Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. How many times do we think we got the plan? And verse next verse, it goes on. Joshua went ahead and did a peace treaty with them. When they walk on down the road, guess what they do? They show up at the city that folks had come from. Right? In our life, I will. Let me just go ahead and say, in my life, you know why I usually get myself in trouble? Because I do not ask counsel of God. Hmm? There's been some times I've got myself financially in trouble. You know why? Because I did not ask. Well, let me just go ahead. Sometimes I might have asked counsel of God and done something different anyway. Right? And y'all say, y'all say, oh, would you do that? Yeah, I just didn't mean it. Y'all probably wouldn't, right? Huh, right? I know a friend of mine that he told about, he said that there were so many things. He had, uh, right before all the big bubble bursted, he said that every time before he ever did anything, he always spent time in prayer. And he said, uh, this person come along and said, I want to sell you this big piece of land. It was a good deal. He thought, oh, goodness gracious, I've developed subdivisions. I've done this. I've done this. And that's a good deal. And I'm going to buy it. And he bought it. He said, it's the first time he had not prayed to ask God what he should do. <clears throat> you know what? It almost put him under. That's what happened to the children of Israel. How many times do we think we can just plan Instead of pray. You know, too many times not only we pray instead of play, pray, we proclaim instead of pray. I how many folks, when you have how many people, when you have a problem, you go tell everybody in the world your problem instead of telling it to God. Right? You know what Facebook's good for? Hearing everybody's problems, right? Everybody's gripes and complaints. Of everything. Isn't that black? And you know, today, everybody wants to go tell everything that was done instead of so many times. I'm thinking if you just keep your mouth shut and you spend that time praying to God, you'd be a whole lot better off. You know, in my life, there's been a lot of problems I've had financially and otherwise. Did my wife never even knew about it. And I'm not saying you ought to keep things from your wife, but you know what? Sometimes when you know she can't do anything about it, 
But you know one that can. Right? And you know who you need to be telling? God. Right? Isn't that right? We need to be spending time in prayer. We tell our family. We tell our friends. We tell Facebook. Well, we ought to be spending time in prayer. You know, the, at times, as a church today, or as the church in America today, not only we plan and we proclaim, we protest when we should be praying. I'm not saying that there's never a time to take action. What I am saying, we need to spend time praying. And I wonder if we spent more time praying, how much less time would we have to spend protesting? Right? The Bible said in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. He goes on down verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is my for it is written, vengeance is mine. I'll go repay, says the Lord. No, I don't know about y'all. <clears throat> Skip, that's not easy for me to do. Hmm? Because when somebody does me wrong, you know the first thing I'm going to do? I start thinking about, and you know, so many times I start thinking about how can I get back at them? Hmm? Instead of saying, God, you know they've done me wrong. That's where I need to be. That's where you need to be. But you know the problem, what makes it so tough? Let's really think about this. Well, Tom, God might not get them back. Do I trust them enough to leave it with Do you really trust God enough to pray? Here, we can see, God said, let me take care of these things. You know what I found in my life? When I do turn it over to God and pray, He always works out a whole lot better than I do. There's been times somebody do something wrong to me. And I just pray. And it might be a week later, or a month later, or a year later. <laughs> and you'll come up and say, I'm sorry for what I did. I shouldn't have. What if I would just lash back out to you? It had just been a mess. Right? Here, do we trust God enough to pray? There is a time for action, but we need to pray first. You know, if we look, Joshua, going back to the children of Israel again, you know what he did? He pleaded before God and prayed. And then he waited till God spoke, and then he acted. <coughs> when they had just lost the battle to Ai, the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 6, Joshua tore his clothes, really falling before God in humility. 
and said he pleaded with him for healing. Really, this comes back to that constant prayer. Too many times I think we don't hang on and pray long enough. But on down in verse number 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie on your face? Let me tell you what you need to do. You know what Joshua did? That's what we need to do. We need to pray before God until we hear from Him. And then we need to do whatever God has told us to do. But not only do we see the church's answers to their problem, I think in the next part of this uh, passage, we can see the Christians' actions in the problem. Verse number six, and when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. The Christians' actions in the problem. Who was in the middle of the problem? It was Peter, right? The church was praying because Peter had the problem, but Peter was the one actually going through the problem. And what was he doing just before the night before? They're about to bring him out before Herod to die. And you know what Peter was doing? Sleeping. You know, when we're going through a problem, you know what we just need to do? We just need to have the peace in God. You know why Peter could sleep in the midst of his problem? Because I think he was trusting in Jesus. You know, he knew if he died, it'd be all right. He'd see Jesus. If he wasn't going to die, God was going to do something. Peter knew he couldn't do anything. So the only thing he knew to do, well, I was resting Jesus, right? And I wonder, as we are going through problems, do we have that peace of God in our life? You know really what it comes down to? It comes down to whether we are placing our trust and our faith in Christ. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know the one that can get me through tomorrow. And I wonder if Peter, as he was there, asleep in that prison. I wonder if he just started thinking about the Psalm 23. <coughs> that again says the Lord is my shepherd. Right? I don't have any wants because he's the one. As we sang this morning, this morning, he's more than enough. Right? If we get on down to verse 4, he says, yea, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I tell you what, Peter was facing death, wasn't he? And what did he say though? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are me. The psalmist said, even when I'm going to die, I know you're with me. So I'm not going to be afraid. He goes on and he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And let's think about this. 
You know, the staff was what was used to help guide the sheep and to help rescue the sheep, pull them out of trouble. You know what the rod was used for? The rod was used to discipline the sheep. And the psalmist says, God, not only does your leadership and your rescue comfort me, but God, even your discipline comforts me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God, in the midst of trouble, you're still providing. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. You know, it doesn't matter what problem we have. You just begin to think about what all God has blessed you with. You know what? We'll just, we all have to say our cup runs over. Right. We can have peace in the midst of a problem when we begin to look at the blessings of God and what He's done for us, what He's already done for us. Let's go a little further in the passage. No, it's not. Let's, let's back up one more thing. One more verse. In John chapter number 14. Jesus is promised. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper. That he will abide with you forever. The hope, the spirit of truth. You know, during the midst of our problems, we can realize that the Holy Spirit is dwelling with us. He goes on and he said, uh, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. <clears throat> Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit would be with us in the midst of our problems. And you know something? Don't you just love when you read the Bible? And God shows you something you never saw before. I wanted to pull this verse out or these verses because I wanted to, you know, as far as peace and trouble, that the Holy Spirit will be there with you. If you know God, if you've trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit is with you. He's not going to leave you. And then there in verse 18, I saw something that I never saw before. You know how many times I've read these passages? Hundreds. Verse number 18. He says, I will not leave you orphans. You know what I've always thought about that? I was thinking he's not leaving us orphans because the Holy Spirit's here to be with us. I think that's part of it, right? But what is the next passage he says? He said, I will come to you. You know, when I'm going through a problem, you know what I what I need to realize? Jesus is coming back, right? It's a promise of his return in the middle of everything we're going through. You know, it really doesn't matter what problem I'm going through here on this earth. 
because Jesus is coming back. And I can rest in peace going through this problem because I know he's going to return. And when he returns, you know, some people say, I've got questions. I, you know what? When he returns, I won't care about what happened here on this earth. Because we'll be praising him. No longer will it matter. Here we can see we can have peace because the Holy Spirit is with us and Christ is coming back for us. We can rest in his peace. But the next thing on this passage, we can see what was the result of the prayer that the church prayed. Verse number seven. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side. Can you imagine this? I tell you what, Peter was asleep, wasn't he? He had to, it wasn't that the light, turning on the light was enough to wake Peter up. He had to say, get up! Right? On the, and raised him up. Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to me, uh, and he said to him, put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what he was done, that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. You know, have you ever dreamed something surreal that you thought it had happened? Peter was experiencing something real and wasn't believing and thinking he had just dreamed it. Verse number 10, when, the, when they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which uh, opened to them of its own accord. You know, they have those doors like that at the, at the grocery stores now. But God had already done it, right? Uh, let's go on. When they when they passed the first and second okay, uh, he opened of its own accord. And they went out, and they went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the Jewish people. You know, the first thing Peter did, he began to say, God, I, knew you, I know you had to do this. You know, that's too many times when something God does something great, we say, oh, look at what circumstances. Look at this. Peter says, God, you had to do it, right? Let's go a little bit further. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. You know, the next thing after he did, he first said, God, I want to give you glory. You know, the next thing Peter wanted to do, he thought, I'm going to go down to where the church is praying and let them know what was happening. You know what we need to do when, when God does something great in our life? You know the first thing we need to do? We need to praise God and give Him glory for what He does. You know the second thing we need to do? We need to go tell other Christians and say, let me tell you what God's done in my life. Let me, let me, let me let's go on down to the church where everybody's meeting and just say, look what God has done. You know, too many times God works in our life and we don't thank Him and praise Him and give Him glory. But not only that, we don't share with anybody else what God has done in our life. We need to let people know to encourage them and glorify God so he can be 
glorified. So in their life, he can be glorified. Let's go a little bit further. The third thing, the commotional answer uh, to the problem. Verse number 13, and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is an angel. Can you look at what's happened? So Peter knocks on the gate, and Rhoda hears somebody knocking on the gate, and she goes out, and she hears that it's Peter. And instead of opening the door, she was so excited, she went back in to tell everybody else, hey, Peter's out there. And what did they do? Oh, you're lying. He's in prison. Girl, you know, I mean, I wonder how old she was. She might be a little bit deedy or something. You know, you know, they you don't know what you're talking about. And she just kept insisting that Peter, it's Peter, it's Peter. Well, it must be an angel that kind of looks like Peter. But it ain't Peter because Peter's down in the prison. You know, for us, I wonder. And when you look here, the reaction of the church, I wonder how many times we act just like the church in this day. How many times, you know, the church there, I just wonder what they're praying. Right? Were they praying God moving in Herod's heart that he won't kill Peter? You know? Were they praying and say, God, just give Peter peace? That when he goes to die, he'll have peace and he'll have comfort. I wonder if those praying say, God, what kind of leadership? Lord, send us leadership. Let us know what's going to happen. Or I wonder if they're praying, God, save Peter. You know, too many times what we just need to do is go ahead and pray to God what we really want, right? But if they were praying, God, save Peter. Why didn't they have somebody at the gate waiting to let him in? You know, for us, what we need to do is we pray, God, let it rain, and don't even carry an umbrella. You know what we need to do? We just need to we need to trust God with the answer to the prayer when we pray. We need to be ready to hear what his answer is. You know, as we look in Elijah, the Bible says in James that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. In James 5, 17. And he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And he prayed again. And then it rained. And if we look, we can see when, he, when it did rain in 1 Kings chapter number 18. Let's set up kind of where we're at. Elijah has just showed up on Mount Carmel. And said, prophets of Baal. You pray to your God and call down fire and I'll pray to my God and I'll call down fire. We'll see who's real. We'll see who sends fire to the battle of the sacrifice. All day long, the prophets of Baal called out to their God and nothing happened. Why? Because there was no God there. Right? But then Elijah, at the time of the evening sacrifice, he prepared a sacrifice there on the altar. 
And he told him, he said, go get some water and dump it on. Because you know that's the way to start a fire, right? He, that's why y'all dump water on the fire at the fire. I mean, when the fire going, right there. I mean, you know, that don't make any change if you retire half young. Not right? And then they dumped more water. And more water. And then Elijah prayed, God sit down fire. And not only consumed the sacrifice and licked up all the water, he burned up all the rocks. And Elijah said, let's get all this sin out of our life. And he went in and killed all the prophets of Baal. And then he went and told the king. He said, King, go get you something to eat and get ready because it's about to rain. And you know what Elijah did after that? He went and started praying. And the Bible said he bowed down with his head down to his knees. And after he prayed, he told his servant, he said, go out there and look toward the sea and see what you see. And he come back and he said, there ain't a thing there. You know what Elijah did? He said, go back and look again. Go back and look again. Go back and look again. On the seventh time he went and looked, he said, I just see a cloud about the size of a man's Hand. Elijah said, you better go tell the king he better get to town quick or his chair will get stuck in the mud. You know, to us, I wonder how many times when we pray, do we have such trust and such faith in God that we know when we pray, God's going to do something. You know, Elijah, when he prayed, before he started praying, he said, God, I know, I know God's going to do something. You better get ready. And when he prayed, he said, go look. Look what God's doing. Look what God, God's working. Go do it. And the servant come back and said, no, he ain't yet. And he didn't give up. He said, you just ain't seen it yet. Go back and look again. And when he even saw that small cloud, he knew what God was going to do. You know, I wonder what our reaction is when we pray. Do we really trust God that he's going to do something? He's going to do something in our life. You know, for I really almost think it starts back with the instantaneous, constant, fervent prayer. You know, when you pray and you get a hold of God, you know he's going to do something. You can trust him that he will do something. And it's already done, whether it happens right then or not. Because you know God is going to, going to act. Let's go a little further. The results. Verse number 16. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. But motioning to them with his hands to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. You know, when they finally realized that God had moved, the church was astonished. And they were making so much racket then. Peter had the most of his hands. It's like, sit down and hush. I got something to tell you. I wonder if we'd ever get so excited about what God is doing. That, you know, I just wonder. I mean, I think this, having a good time, right? Shouting, praising God. 
They were talking, look what God has done. This is Peter. And he says, wait. Now I want you to go tell other people about what's happened. And you know, as he said, go tell James and the brethren what God's done. You know, the thing that the thought that come across my mind, not everybody from the church was there praying. You know, for us too many times, I think we get discouraged because maybe other people aren't praying when we think they should be praying. You know what the church there did? Even though some weren't there praying like they should have been praying, you know, it would be easy to get discouraged and think, you know, there's a lot of folks that need here this morning going to be here. You know what we just need to do? We just need to pray with whoever's there. Right? You know, we may have to be alone praying. Elijah was by himself praying. We can't get discouraged about who's not praying. We need to be praying. Fervently praying. That's where the church was there. It didn't matter who wasn't there. You know, let's go one step further. James, that he's talking about there, is James, the brother of Jesus. And actually, as time went on, really, he was kind of known as the pastor there at the church, right? Let's take that one step further. Even if the preacher's not there, you know what we need to be doing? Praying, right? It shouldn't depend on the preacher being there, whether you can pray. It shouldn't be. We need to be praying, getting a hold of God, reaching and waiting on his answer. You know, as we look here in this passage today, we can see God did a great thing, right? The church had a problem Sin, there was no answer. I wonder today, you have a problem, it just seems like there's no answer. Their problem was that Peter was in prison. You know, I think if each one of us think, well, first off, I wonder if you are in prison and in chains of sin. There might be some sin in your life that seems to have you captured. And you think, I'm going to do better. I'm going to get out of it. And you go right back in and fall right back into that sin. You may know someone like that. It's captured in some sin. You know, the only change, the only one that can make a difference is God. You know what you as a Christian needs to be doing? Us as a church needs to be doing? We need to be praying for that person. Fervently. Not just saying, oh yeah, I'm going to pray for them. Now lay me down to sleep. God saved the whole world. We need to be fervently praying. God can send deliverance. They were praying for Peter's deliverance from a physical prison. We need to be praying for deliverance from some people from sin, from the spiritual prison that they're in. Something I had to plan on saying, well, let me just go ahead and say this. The church I grew up in experienced a great time of revival. There were 
church experience great growth, people getting saved, getting right with God. And I remember one thing that the pastor had said at that time. He was talking about when he came to the church, the cleaning church. He said he looked there on the altar. There were tear stains all over the altar. You know, that's when we, we, we begin our service with a time of prayer. You know, the only thing that's going to make a difference is us praying to get hold of God for Him to change people's lives. For Him to intervene in the problems we have. You know, you might have a problem that seems no answer. You just need to pray. You're in the midst of the problem that you're in. You can experience God's peace. If we just trust in Him, realizing He knows that. Do we really trust him with the answer? When he does work, are you ready to glorify him? Are you ready to after you pray? Are you expecting God to do something? I just tell you what, when you come expecting, you can see God work in so many ways. We don't have a time of prayer. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. God spoke to me. I'm asking you, come on, come on, come on. You might need to pray for yourself. You need to maybe pray and say, God, help me to pray. Help me to remember to pray instead of planning and, and, and telling everybody else my problem. Instead of, instead of fussing and grappling, help me to pray. <coughs> maybe you know someone's trapped in sin. Just need to pray for them. Whatever you're doing, Lord, I just pray. God, in England right now, Lord, that you would speak to each one here in this morning. God, show us our need to pray. God, show us our need to seek your face. Lord, show us our sins in the trap of others, God. Convict us, Lord, help us to pray. <coughs> Confess that to you. Lord, I pray that you would lay someone on each person's heart. It's in the prisons. God, that we commit and pray for them. Move with us face to that God. In Jesus' name, amen.